Well, before we dismiss our classes today, I want to pray with you. And I want to make some declarations. And then we'll go our ways and go on with our teaching. Father God, this morning we're so grateful and so thankful for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for wonderful people of God. People that we can fellowship with, share the good times and even the tough times, knowing that in the end we are victorious in every situation. We ask you, Lord, today to help us, whether we are in here together or whether it's anyone in a classroom, that we will hear the word of God today in such a way that we will not be the same, we'll be changed for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe in the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created all things and upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the God who rewards those of us who diligently seek him. I believe the Bible is true and is the revelation of God to man, revealing his nature, his will, and his plans for the ages. And just as there is no other God like our God, there is no other holy book like the Bible. It is uniquely his word. It's a living word. I believe based on those scriptures in the supernatural and the spiritual power to overcome any and all natural problems and obstacles, including our sin and our fallen nature. I believe that God is a God of abundance who heals and still does miracles. The things that are impossible with man are possible with God. I believe that faith in God and in His Word will make anything that the Word says is mine come into reality. The Spirit of God who lives inside of me always responds to confirm God's Word. I will never have a problem that faith in God cannot overcome. Can you say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. We will dismiss our classes now. All of the kids and teens can go at this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Please open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Based on what I just said to you in those declarations, that's why we teach faith. I was born again when I was 10 years old. That's a long time ago. Filled with the Spirit at about age 15. But beyond those two essential milestones for me, at least in my life, they've become so powerful and such a blessing. The message of faith has done more to change my life than anything else that I've heard from the Word of God in all these years. It's not just a narrow message, but it's really the broad message of trusting in God, in His love, His care, His mercy, His provision, His power, all those things. 
And so in our series of studies, and it seems that we've been uh, a long time with this because, of course, we have been gone some. We've had a guest a minister last week. So, you know, it's not been something we've been able to do consecutively every single week. But over time, we have been looking at spiritual laws. I felt led of the Lord late summer that we should start this. And I don't know when we'll finish because we still are a, a good ways from the end of it. But the laws include the law of love, the royal law, James 2.8. It includes the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And then the third one is the law of faith, and that's the one we're studying right now. We will get to the law of sowing and reaping. Spiritual laws are laws because they work throughout the universe. They work in heaven, they work on earth. Spiritual laws are laws because they are unchanging, they are constant. So they work for everybody, that includes you and me. They work everywhere, that includes right here or wherever you are or wherever you will go. And they work all the time. Now, tomorrow, next week, next year, whenever. We've exercised the law of faith even if we didn't realize what we were doing when we were born again because we believed in our heart, the gospel we heard, and we confessed Jesus as our Lord. When Jesus described the law of faith in Mark 11, 22, and 23, he didn't exactly call it that. Actually, the, the phrase law of faith is used in Romans 3, 27, if you want a biblical reference for it. But when Jesus spoke in Mark 11, beginning of verse 22, he said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. One translation renders it, lay hold on God's faithfulness. Because you see, faith isn't just a formula. Faith isn't just about steps or laws, even though all those things are important. But faith is about a person. If God wasn't who he was, then we couldn't have the faith we have. Lay hold on God's faithfulness. For truly I say unto you, Jesus said, that whosoever, so again, this is universal, whosoever shall say, unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Say is mentioned in some form three times, believing is once. Now, believing is absolutely essential, but we get a little hint, a little clue of how important speaking is where faith is concerned by the words of Jesus himself. Paul described this law in 2 Corinthians 4, 13, when he said, uh, we having the same spirit of faith, and he's referring to the same spirit of faith that David had mentioned in the Psalms, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. The law of faith is believing in our heart what God has said to the point that we will then confess that truth. It moves our mouth. Remember this. That as your faith moves your mouth, it is simultaneously moving your mountain. And to the degree that your faith moves your mouth, that's the degree that your mountain is moving. The law of faith says that I believe in my heart what God has said, I confess it with my mouth. And then the responsibility shifts over 
unto the power and the glory of God to bring it to pass. Jeremiah 1.12, God says he watches over his word to perform it. Isaiah 55.11, he says that when he hears his word, it will never return to him void. There will be a performance of those things that were believed, that were spoken. Luke 1.45. Now I'm paraphrasing, but you check those verses, you'll see those wonderful truths there. And the fact is that if what you believe doesn't move your mouth, then nobody really much cares what you believe. Most of all, the devil. Because that's exactly what he wants to do, is to have a bunch of silent Christians. Silent with their testimony, silent in their witness, silent in their confessions, and speaking the word of faith. One of the greatest examples of faith and the operation of faith that we can find and how the law of faith works is actually our father in the faith as far as the earthly father in the faith, and that's Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 12, if you look at the verse, it says, And the father, speaking of Abraham, of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, the steps of that faith, the steps of faith, what are they? I need to know them. If I'm going to walk in them, I need to know. This is my road map to get from the place of hearing what I can have to possessing what I do have. This is the road map to take you from what you can have to what you can declare is mine, I have it now. Faith. It's not a mystery. It's really not magic. It is power. It is a confidence in God to the point that we absolutely believe Him. Nobody and no thing can take us off that belief system. Nothing can happen that would cause us to retract what we believe and what we're declaring, we just trust God. We trust Him. Now what are those steps? We find them in Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse number 17. And it also goes down through verse 21. So there's just four verses, but they are packed with powerful principles. The first one, and we've already looked at this, so you can go back and listen to the message again if you'd like, and I would encourage you to do that because it's been a while now since we covered this. But the first step is calling those things which be not as though they were. You see that there in verse number 17, as it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations, or in other words, I've changed your name from Abram to Abraham, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. And calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's the first step. The first step of faith. Now God's responsibility is to get the word to us. Once it comes to us, then I have to do something with it. What I do with the promise of God, what I do with the word of God, will determine whether or not that word, that promise, will come to pass in my life or not. Sometimes people want to leave everything up to God, and that's a very convenient type of approach, except it just doesn't work. It would be really wonderful if wonderful and good things happened with no fight of faith. It would be wonderful if 
great things came our way and we didn't have to be concerned about any kind of, of uh, spiritual uh, activity much. Just, you know, just kind of go through life, be lazy, do what you want to do, and it's all going to work out. But I'm sure you found out by now that's not how life works at all. And you know, we can, we can try to take uh, shelter behind our version of the sovereignty of God. We can try to hide out behind what we think would be the mysterious will of God that we just don't understand and, and all of that kind of thing. But the fact is, if God said it in His Word, it's absolutely true. And if God says something should be mine, then bless God, I'm going to have it. I am determined I will not do without what God says I can have. Abraham had that determination and that's why he reintroduced himself to his family, to his uh, staff, his servants, his, his, his entourage. And any neighbors or passers-by that would come along, Abraham had to reintroduce himself as an older man, not a kid. Not a, not a kid who found fame and decided to drop their last name and be called by the one name. Isn't that something, that phenomenon we've seen in our days? I think Elvis was probably the first one. And then you know somebody's really trying to be a star when they, when they, when they try the one name thing. Sometimes it works for him, sometimes it doesn't. But anyway, uh, so you, you won't hear me saying, you know, just Greg. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke, right? You're laughing. Uh, but, uh, but Abraham had to uh, reintroduce himself. Now, can you imagine how awkward that might be? You don't have any children, not by your wife. He had one son, you know, later Ishmael came through Hagar. But, but as far as his wife bearing him a child, there was none. And so he was introducing himself to people as the father of a multitude, the father of many nations. And not only that, but by the time he got to that point, he was old. Oh, remember I told you, you're not old till you're at least 70. I'm in late midlife. <laughs> but uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, but anyway, uh, he, he was not a young man, and here he is doing this. And you can just imagine people probably thought that he just absolutely lost his mind. Why in the world would he do this? What they probably did not know was that he was doing what would be described few thousand years later as calling those things which be not as though they were. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul tells us exactly what Abraham was doing when he reintroduced himself to the world as Abraham. Some of you need to reintroduce yourself. You're not the sick. You're not the oppressed. You're not the broke, busted, disgusted. You're not the failure. You're not the addicted. You're not the person bound. But you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what the Word says belongs to you really does belong to you. 
And you need to be willing to say that even when you don't see any evidence. That's what faith is about. You don't need faith. I don't need faith for a white handkerchief. I have it. Faith is always about the things you don't see. It's always about the things you don't hold in your hand at the moment. Once you get it in your hand, once you see it, once it's there for you, then you don't need faith for it anymore. You just need to praise. And of course, praise is a part of faith too, but you know what I, I mean. It becomes a testimony. It becomes a praise issue that God provided. The supernatural happened. But until that moment comes, we are calling those things which be not as though they were. It is an important and essential part of our faith. If your faith won't move your mouth, it'll never move your mountain. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, that's Hebrews 4.14, Hebrews 10.23. We are encouraged by the writer to hold fast to our confession. Hold fast. Hold fast. Do you know what that means? That means hold on and don't let go. That means get a grip so that nobody or no thing can take it away from you. Why would we be told to hold fast to our confession if there wasn't going to be pressure to let go of it? You see, the devil knows that this is the starting place for the exercise of our faith. He knows that this is step one of the steps of faith. And he knows that if he has any chance of taking this hope from you, and this issue of faith from you, if he has any opportunity, this is his easiest and best. It's like digging up an acorn rather than trying to get rid of a hundred-year-old tree. If you've ever cut a, down a large tree, you know that it's a lot of work. And if you've had somebody come in and take a tree down... And, uh, I mean, I, 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 there was some stuff in our yard that not all that long ago, and I wanted, it was too big, it was overgrown, I wanted it taken down. The guy comes by one day, and he says, you know, I'm in town, I'm doing this, you know, I, I would be happy to take some of this stuff down for you. And then he told me what he charged. <laughs> and then I told him what I would pay. And he came back again and said what he'd like. And I said, this is what I'll pay. And guess what? He took what I paid. But that's probably what he wanted anyway. But anyway, I'm not much of a bargain, bargainer. But uh, anyway, the point is, it's a lot of trouble. It's a lot of work to get rid of a full-grown tree. It's a whole lot easier to pull up a little sapling or dig up the seed. And the devil knows this. And that's why your first Step of faith will also be your first battle of faith. Your first real battle, skirmish, if you will, with the devil. Now, obviously, he'll come to try to steal the word away from you, but that's one of the ways he does it, is to get you to be silent. And some people have been silent, and uh, I would say spiritually in neutral, you know, for years. It's time to decide what you believe. It's time to get serious about the Word of God. 
So we have to hold fast our confession. There are going to be times when you're going to just want to let go and cry. There are going to be other times when you just want to let go and complain. There are going to be other times when you're going to be just, I mean, not angry, just outright mad. And you're going to want to just let it all out. You're going to want to vent, as we say. I would discourage you from venting. Amen. Vents are for sewer systems. They're not for you. <laughs> I mean, you know you see those things sticking out the top of your house. You know that's what that's for. Um, so you don't want to let off fumes of unbelief and failure and destruction and all the rest. Now, you know, if, if, if I was... 18 years old and I'd never been through anything in my life, then you know, you might think, well, you know, you could say that. But I'm telling you at my age, not advanced, but a little further than it used to be age, I can tell you that I've been through some stuff. And not all the stuff I've ever been through have I told everybody about. But I can tell you that what I'm preaching you, to you today is so close and so dear to my heart because I have proven this. And it works. It works. So hold fast to your confession. Number two, the next step of faith is found actually in the, over in verse 18. And we've covered this one as well. Abraham believed in hope. He believed when all hope was gone in the natural, he had a supernatural hope. Now, how do I know something is a true supernatural hope? How do I know when hope is faith worthy how do I know when a hope can have faith come up under it and take me to the other side how do I know the difference between that and something else well let me say it this way this hope is not just a wish this hope is possible it's not just a wish but it's possible according to the word of God you see I, I used to joke and sing a little song sometimes and I have an eclectic uh, repertoire of songs that I've somehow memorized over the years and one of those songs was a song that said I'd like to be 16 again and know what I know now <laughs> and the course of it says the girls I'd please with ever squeeze and make them holler wow But it's too late to change my fate, and such things would not allow. But I'd like to be 16 again and know what I know now. Now, that's a totally foolish song. And you are correct in thinking it was a total waste of time for me to ever hear it. And you are also correct in thinking as why in the world would you even remember it? That's the power of words because sometimes stuff gets in there and it doesn't get out. Be, care be careful what you listen to. Sometimes I expose Nick to some of this good music <laughs> as we're traveling back and forth. But anyway, but it seems that he's holding up well. He resists. <laughs> he resists. <laughs> the Lord is using me to help test his resolve. No, I'm kidding. That's all a joke, foolish joke. But anyway, 
that would be, you know, to wish you were 16 again, that's just a, a wish. It's, it's never going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. And so there's no way you can put faith to that. But if I'm sick, if I'm in pain, and I desire to be healed, I can have hope, attainable hope for my healing based on the word of Almighty God. And so Abraham, though there was no natural hope for this 99-year-old man to father a child and child get born when he was 100, no hope that Sarah would, at 90 would bear a child. Even though there was no natural hope, there was supernatural hope for that. And you know the Bible says about Sarah, she judged him faithful that had promised. We talk about Abraham all the time. And we talk about the steps of faith of Abraham. And that's, that's good because it's in the Word, of course. But if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, what you find out about Sarah is she judged him faithful that had promised. So I think about that. I think about Mark eleven twenty two, and that, uh, that translation of it, lay hold on God's faithfulness. That's what she did. She laid hold on God's faithfulness. She knew she couldn't pull this off. She'd never been able to have a child. She knew that, you know, that there was nothing going on with her and Abraham that was going to produce a child at this point in their life, but they had supernatural hope and God honored them. Amen. Now, let's look at step three found in verse number, I mean, in verse number 19. It says, and being not weak in faith, and this, is, this may be as far as we get today, and I know we're taking a lot longer with this one than we have some of the others, but I uh, just seem to have more to say about this one than the other ones. This is so important. It says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So step number three is that he considered not his own body. Now, some of you have read this passage in various translations. You might even have that translation with you or on your phone or your device today. And it will word it something like this. Considering his own body, he considered it not. Now, that's not a misprint. That's not really a misinterpretation. What it means is that Abraham was fully aware. Everybody say fully aware. Fully aware of his situation. For us today, we might say he knew what the figures were in the bank account. We might say he knew what the letter from the lawyer said. We might say he knew what somebody near and dear to him had said to, to him. He knew you know, you could fill in the blank with a lot of things. So faith is not blind and faith is not ignorant. Faith knows the facts. Everybody say facts. You see, faith is not denying facts. Faith is not denying reality. A lot of people, you know, think that's what we're trying to teach. That is not what we're teaching. You know, uh, 
if, if the x-ray shows this, if the, the numbers on the paper, you know, the test results, the blood test, whatever, if it says this or that or the other, that's a fact. That's what it says. But there is a higher truth. Amen. A higher truth than, than any fact of the natural. Because there is no natural fact that can't be changed by the truth of the Word of God. You know, sometimes when you teach about confession and those kind of things, people think, well, that's bondage. That's just too, too much. But do you realize that God himself is very circumspect about his own confession? That what God says is so powerful that if he says it, it's so. Which means that there are certain things God won't say. Because if he said them... It would be that way. Now, we're not God and we'll never be God. But you need to understand there is a realm based on what he's already said, whereby your words become reality when you declare it and you speak his word in faith. So there is no natural fact, no natural circumstance that isn't subject to the spoken word of Almighty God. You need to talk to your body. Don't talk about it. Don't tell everybody how you feel necessarily. But talk to your body. Speak to it. Speak to your flesh. Speak to your financial condition. Speak to your bank account. Speak to your retirement account. Speak to your investment account. Speak to your cars. Speak to your appliances. Speak to your house. Speak to those things that are valuable and important in your life and make sure they are aligning with the Word of God. Amen. You know, I say, well, that sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard. It works. It works. So Abraham, didn't, he, he knew what the facts were, but he chose to dismiss them as far as, as what he believed. He knew what they were, but he chose to to not consider them. Now this is a very difficult thing to do sometimes. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and tell you that this is the easiest thing in the world to do. This is not the easiest thing in the world to do. And also, if you really study this passage out, you'll see there is a progression culminating in Abraham being fully persuaded. There is a, there is a progression here. If you're not calling things which be not as though they were, then you probably are going to consider your circumstances. The first step is that confession part. The second step is to make sure your goal or your hope is promised in the Word. Make sure it's not just wishful thinking, but a true possibility based on the power of God. And then the next thing you've got to go to work on is you've got to quit dwelling on your symptoms. And quit dwelling on the circumstances and this is a choice not necessarily easy but it is a choice and it is an exercise in controlling our thoughts and our words because you see faith is never based on what we see naturally what you see in the mirror is not what you base your faith on what you see in the, uh, on the computer screen, that's not what you base your faith on. You base your faith on what the Word of God says. And so it actually becomes a thing of 
what you see when your eyes are closed. Now let's let that sink in a minute. What do you see when your eyes are closed? What is the, the mental image or mental picture you have? Now I know faith is spiritual. It's not a mental force. But, it, but you see, faith is going to affect you mentally. How will I know if I'm believing God? Well, number one, I'm going to know by my confession. And number two, I'm going to know by my expectation. My expectation is a picture, uh, or, or manifestation rather, of the, the, the picture I have on the inside. If you're seeing yourself constantly getting worse, you will. If you see yourself healed, you will be. It's just that simple. Now, we have... Uh, We've talked about this on Wednesday nights for the last couple of Wednesdays. So some of you who come on Wednesday, you've heard some of this before. But it's too important not to, to cover it a little bit today. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 18, Paul says, While we look not at the things which are seen. You see, that's exactly what Abraham did. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's exactly what Abraham did. How do I look at what I can't see, and how do I not look at what I do see? Either this is doable, or this is some kind of mistake. Uh, there's a problem here. Well, it's absolutely doable, but what it means is what you see with the natural isn't controlling what you believe or what you say or what you do. What you can see, as I say with your eyes closed, what I see in the realm of the Spirit, what I glean from and see or understand or realize from the Word of God, that's what I see. And that's mine. As a matter of fact, this verse goes on to say, for the things which are seen, or that's natural things, are temporal. Temporal. They're temporary. That means they will change. It means they're subject to change, but it also, even more than that, means they will change. All natural things are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So are you, where are you looking? In Numbers 21, one of the things we have talked about in some detail on Wednesday nights was when Israel had sinned and they're complaining against Moses and against God. The plague of the serpents came among them and in their uh, desperation as they repented, God gave the answer to Moses to take and put a brass serpent upon the pole and everyone, when they were bitten, if they were look at that serpent on the pole, they would be healed. Now we know the serpent on the pole is a type of Jesus because Jesus became sin with our sins. He never committed any sin. He's not guilty of any sin, but he became what we were so we can be what he is. And so that's how come the serpent was a type of Christ. And Jesus himself reiterated this as this Moses lifted up in the serpent in the uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man will be lifted up. We know that. And so these people were healed as they looked up at the serpent on the pole. And I pointed this out, but it's worth repeating today, especially if you've not heard this part. But you can imagine it would take a lot of discipline. It would be a, a, a tough choice for anybody, any of us, to not look down 
where the snakes are. To not look down to see if one's coming. But to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's really what it's about. Looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. The author and the finisher of our faith. Why we look not at those things which are seen, but those things which are not seen. Some of you are spending entirely too much time looking at what you can easily see. And the scenery is not changing. If anything, it's getting worse. You've got to get your eyes fixed and focused beyond the natural. And that's what Abraham did. He knew exactly what he was incapable of doing in his body. He knew exactly the situation with Sarah, his wife, that she not only was past uh, the age of childbearing, but she had never been able to bear a child. And they didn't know why. They wouldn't have understood necessarily why. They, had, they wouldn't have had a medical situation that, that, that like maybe somebody would have today that would find out why they couldn't have a child. But nonetheless, the outcome was the same. And so in spite of this, he kept on calling himself Abraham. And you can just imagine what a battle all this would have been at times whenever that he might have been challenged on it or he might have felt a little, you know, self-conscious or whatever. But he continued to call those things which be not as though they were, believing in supernatural hope and not paying any attention to his body. I think about um, the lady singer and preacher uh, Becky Fender. And she, uh, she wrote a song years ago. Some of you might be old enough to remember it. Uh, it was a song, Whose Report Will You Believe? Remember that? Whose report will you believe? And then the response is, We shall believe the report of the Lord. Well, that song was written when Miss Becky Fender was diagnosed with cancer. She had cancer on her face and were near her eye and she looked in the mirror one day and the devil spoke to her I'm not going to ask you if you ever heard the devil talk you've heard him talk either he's, he's tried to speak to you directly or he's spoken through somebody I can assure you but the devil spoke to her and said I'm going to kill you with that now if you've never heard the devil kind of drop that thought in your mind let me tell you it is not a pleasant thought when the devil tries to sow the seeds of death destruction premature death and all the stuff that goes with that the devil told her said I'm gonna kill you with that and that's when that song came to her whose report will you believe that's what the Lord wanted to know from her are you going to believe that you're dying? Or are you going to believe the report, his report says, I am healed? Praise God. Well, thank God she lived. So we all come to points and places and somewhere in our life, maybe not that drastic, but from time to time we come to places where we have to choose what we believe. Amen? And then... Step number four found in verse 20. I'm going to cover this one and then we're going to do the last one uh, next week, Lord willing. Because it'll take a little longer and it'll be a whole lot more fun. 
You'll see when we get there. You guys can come on up if you want to. Number four in verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He staggered not at the promise of God. That's step number four. You cannot allow yourself to be moved. Hear me carefully today. Unbelief is a choice. It's not a fault. It's not a flaw. It's not a weakness. Unbelief is a choice. He staggered not. That means nothing that he ever felt, nothing that he ever saw, and nothing that anybody or any demon ever would say to him would cause him to stagger. And you know this word for stagger here means exactly what you're thinking. Everybody here has seen somebody inebriated staggering. That's exactly what this word means. So the idea is he never got off the path. He never varied to the right or to the left. He stayed on the word of God. He stayed on this course. Nobody could get him off. Nobody heard him backtracking. Nobody heard him get into a pity party. Nobody heard him in unbelief. And by the way, I know what I'm preaching is, is tough stuff. I know that this is kind of beyond kindergarten stage of believing God. But most people, if you've been saved very long, you have already moved past the kindergarten stage of needs and problems. And so we need a faith that is able to overcome whatever that we're facing. Unbelief is a choice, and according to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, unbelief is evil. That's why I say it's not just a weakness. Unbelief is evil. You know why it's evil? Because it's the greatest insult you'll ever pay to God. We know it's a sin to take God's name in vain. We know that. But I can tell you, even more than that kind of cursing, even greater insult to God is when you don't believe what he said. Unbelief is evil. It cost the first generation of Israelites their entry into the promised land. Yes, they were delivered from Egypt. Yes, they had the miracle of the manna. Yes, they saw great signs and wonders in their exodus and even in their journeys in the wilderness. But the ultimate goal they left Egypt for, that first generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, they never saw it. Because they allowed themselves to fall into unbelief. They made a choice not to believe God. You see, there are two types of unbelief. Two types. One is the unbelief of ignorance. In other words, we don't know. One of the reasons that banner over there on the wall is there is because this is an important precept to understand. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know the will of God, you can't have faith for it. That is an unbelief born out of ignorance. And of course, it's curable. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And the second kind of unbelief is more complex, but yet it's fixable as well. It's the unbelief that Israel demonstrated in the wilderness. It's the unbelief of knowing what God said, but just making a flat-out choice, I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to believe that. I don't think that's possible. I know that's what the Bible says, but I know that's what so-and-so received, but you see, that's the problem. And this is worse than ignorance. 
Because these were people who knew what God promised. And even some of them went over and spied out the land. And came back and said, it's just exactly like God said, but we can't do it. And maybe nobody in this room or maybe nobody listening to me has ever really made that statement directly. But yet, have we made that statement with, with our overall actions and our attitudes and to some degree our words? I know that's all in there. I know the Bible says it, but we have to be very careful that we don't stagger at unbelief. Amen? The last step of Abraham's faith had to do with giving glory to God. And that's why I say that's going to be more fun. And we'll tackle that one next time. But we had to get through these. If you want to know how the law of faith works, you have to know this. And you have to do it. So, Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your anointing. And I thank you for truth. Lord, we're willing. We're willing to call those things which be not as though they were. We believe in a hope that's supernatural, not just wishful thinking. And we're willing to say no to our bodies or no to any other circumstance that would contradict your word. We're saying in the face of those things, I believe God and it shall be even as it was told me. Though the storm may be raging, and the ship may end up shipwrecked, I will survive. I will be saved. I will walk in the will of God. And Father, we choose not to stagger through unbelief. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Somebody may be here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him. If that's you, then I want to ask you to pray this prayer after me. I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer. Salvation is not based on our works and it's not based on our pretty prayers. Salvation is based upon our faith in the gospel and receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's amazing how simple God made it. We don't have to complicate it. So if you will, just pray this with me, everybody. Even if you've known the Lord for 50 years, just pray it with me again, and let's believe God together with those who need to pray it for the very first time. Say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to save me. I believe Jesus died for me, and I believe he rose again, and he's alive now. I receive him, I take him, as my Lord and my Savior. I confess Jesus is my Lord and I will serve you, Lord, all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank God.